book of Psalms, chapter 24. That might sound familiar to you. If you've been reading every day the chapter of Psalms, we prepare and ready ourselves for our revival services coming up at the end of uh, March here. Uh, with Brother Moon, mind you, again, we can't uh, schedule revival. We understand that. But we can schedule meetings that hopefully produce revival in our hearts and our lives. And so we're scheduling a meeting with Brother Moon, and he's going to come in and preach for us Sunday night through uh, Wednesday night, and we're looking forward to that. And what we've done is, if you can find them out there, I think there's some more uh, pamphlets out there or something, just a piece of paper that's folded, expresses what we're doing to prepare for that. We're, we're reading Psalm chapter 24 now, every day, and now we've added praying five minutes a day for that, those services, uh, to include a prayer, you know, obviously for us in general, the presence of God for the speaker and for uh, just uh, an openness of the mind of the people. And then, then we're going to start uh, dealing with this gratitude issue. Uh, not this week, but the following week. We're going to start writing down every day. We're going to find one thing we're thankful for, write it down, and pray and thank the Lord for it each day. And then we'll just add to that. And by the end of two weeks, we'll have 14 things we're thankful for. Gratitude's a huge aspect of revival, by the way. So important. And then finally, we're going to fast media. And again, as I've mentioned to you, we're going to uh, not watch television or we're not going to get on our, our, I guess, what is it, Facebook and all that stuff and like, like hang out all the time. I guess if you have to check something for you know, work and stuff, obviously that's fine. If you have, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a son calls you up or something like that on whatever. I don't understand all that stuff. But anyway, uh, you know, this Twitter stuff where you're spending hours on Twitter and stuff like that. We're going to get away from that so that we can focus our attention on some things that will prepare us to clear our mind, to take some of the clutter out. And again, if you aren't going to participate in that, that's fine. If you're not reading 24, uh, chapter 24 every day, if you're not uh, writing out what you're grateful for, if you're not even going to pray five minutes a day, that's fine. Still come out to the meeting. God can still do something in your life if you'll let him. We're just trying to prepare our hearts and ready ourselves for that, okay? And we're trying to do that as a congregation, not just as an individual, me alone. I, I want that to be part of your life as well. And so when we all gather together on those days, we're going to be prepared, ready for God to speak to us. And boy, I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. Looking forward to that. Chapter 24, let's begin reading in verse 1. Again, uh, boy, I don't know if you've been enjoying the reading of this every day, but I have. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Boy, I really like that portion back here in verse 8. Who is the King of glory? And it says, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. I like that. Every time I get to that, it kind of puts a smile on my face. I enjoy that. 
I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm in a battle every once in a while. I feel like I'm in a fight. Boy, I'm glad that the Lord is strong on my behalf. Who is the King of glory? He is the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And boy, I like it when He fights my battles and I don't have to, right? Isn't that great? And He does. What a wonderful thing it is so often. And again, we have responsibilities. We have to do certain things. But so many times, if we're not careful, we try to take things into our own hands, don't we? And boy, we tell God, I'll take care of that. And when God's going, I would have handled that for you. Boy, I'll tell you what, He's stronger than I am, isn't He? He's more mighty than you are, isn't He? The fact is, we need God to do these things for us. And I love the passage. And so, I thought I'd take a few minutes and consider it this morning. But throughout the Old Testament... We are given glimpses of the Messiah and insight into the work that he would do while on earth. You look through the Old Testament, you find Jesus. You find the Lord in the passages of the Old Testament. And one of the clearest examples of this is found in the book of Isaiah. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. It's one of those big books of the Bible. I mean, he's one of those, as they would call him, a major prophet, major prophet. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, that's where we're going to begin. Some of them chapters are long in there, aren't they? Look at what it says here in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Written probably 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ ever showed up. As many as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, And as a root out of the dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of many people was his, he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Isn't that interesting? With the wicked. He died on a cross with sinners, but he also was buried in a rich man's tomb. Isn't that something? Anyway, we go on and says, Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I don't know about you, but I see Jesus there. This is 700 years before he ever showed up. I mean, you've got to believe, I guess, uh, if you're reading the way I'm reading, if I'm understanding it the way I'm understanding it, recognizing it for what it says, that somehow God knew ahead of time Jesus was coming. Well, that is the case indeed. Long before the world was, God already knew his son would come. May I say, God in his foreknowledge already knew. And as a result of that, we see in this book, of the book of Isaiah, a prophecy pointing to none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. A wonderful passage. And in this particular passage, again, he sees ahead of time and recognizes his earthly life and his death. Another tremendous group of texts that direct our attention to Christ are found in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapters 22 through 24. These are what are also called Messianic Psalms. They're Messianic in the sense that they point to Jesus Christ. In this case, chapters 22 through 24, David is the pen that God uses to to write these Psalms. But even though David had endured a tremendous amount of grief at the hand of Saul while he was on the run, there is no way that as you read chapters 22 through 24 that you come to the conclusion that this is truly referring completely to David. There's no way. Because David endured, did not endure any type of grief to, to the degree that we see the psalm, psalmist referring to, the, or should I see the person referred to in the psalm. The person referred to in the psalm is none other than Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we're going to see here that we have much to learn from these psalms. The psalm that you are reading, chapter 24, fits into a group of psalms, verse chapters 22 through 24, and a number of other psalms that point to the Savior, that point to the Messiah, that say that Jesus Christ was more than a mere man, that he would ultimately come to save mankind. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, and the Chief Shepherd. And these three psalms seem to correlate to those three titles. As we look at chapter 22, we see the Good Shepherd. If we took the time to read the chapter, we're going to see that there's a very graphic description of Christ's crucifixion in chapter 22. Now, we'll look at some of those verses in a few moments, but the fact is, is that there in that passage, a very graphic description of his death and his, his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why? Because he laid down his life for the sheep. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And it was prophesied and foretold way back in Psalm chapter 22. As you read the chapter, chapter 22, you can't help but be confronted with Christ himself. 
Now, if you were going to try to witness to a Jewish person, someone that was rooted in Judaism, one of the chapters you may go to is chapter 22 of the book of Psalms, chapter 52 and 53 of the book of Isaiah. Why? Because they point to Christ. You can't help but see the correlation between Jesus on the cross, dying, being buried, and rising again with the passage that's being read in the Old Testament. The Jew does not recognize the New Testament. Therefore, the Old Testament is the only way that you can point him to Jesus. And the psalm, God in his infinite wisdom, understood that he would be rejected of men. He realized that he would be rejected by his own people. And he understood that one day they're going to have to come to the realization that Jesus is Messiah. There's no way anyone can be saved, even a Jew, without coming to the realization that Jesus Christ was Messiah, that he was God in flesh, and that he did die, was buried, and rose again as the true propitiation for sin. A person that is lost without Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, is someone that has failed to receive and accept the judicial act of Jesus on Calvary. Has not allowed his punishment to become theirs in that sense. Did not die on the cross with him. Did not receive and accept him into their life. And so whether you're a Jew today or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. You still need Jesus. And in the book of Psalm, he says, whether you acknowledge the, the New Testament as authoritative or not, you can find this Jesus in that Old Testament. I like that. He's the good shepherd. Not only that, we see the great shepherd in chapter 23. Hebrews thirteen twenty says, now the God of peace. That brought again from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, though the blood, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. We see the great shepherd here. And I think as we look at Psalm chapter 23 and we think, consider what it's saying when it talks about, you know, that uh, he says, um, let's see, somebody give me the first word of the chapter. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All I'm saying is, as you listen to that, as you read that, you can't help but see this Jesus that is guiding us. He's the great shepherd in that regard. I mean, he it describes the Lord's role today as the, the great shepherd who tends to the flock. And we are his flock today. I know the Jew has rejected Christ, but we as children of God have come to him. And as a result, we've become his children, according to John chapter 1. When the, or, yeah, when it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Well, we've done that. We've received him and now we're in his family. He's our shepherd and he's guiding us and he's leading us and he's directing us. We see that in chapter 23 there. And then we move to chapter 24, the chief shepherd. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. In Psalm chapter 24, the chief shepherd rewards his flock. We see this shepherd coming now. It it begins with a reminder that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in it is the Lord's in that sense. And ends with Messiah in Jerusalem ruling and reigning on the throne of David. We see chapter 22 to 24 and we see Jesus Christ dying on a cross. We see Jesus Christ leading and directing his people. We see Jesus Christ ultimately ruling and reigning. Prophetical prophecies. That's a double something. Prophetical passages, I guess I should say. Psalm chapter 22 through 24. We see the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. 
Now, I want you to look at Psalm chapter 24 again real quickly. Verses 7 and 8. Psalm chapter 24. Again, we're directed here. It says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. We understand doctrinally where that fits, and we know that it goes back to that prophetical point there when Jesus Christ ultimately returns, and not only that, when He one day takes His place, even on the throne itself, even when He went back to be with the Lord, I mean, in a sense, we see some of that taking place there in the passage. But when I look at this, I say, what can we take from this? Who is this Lord of glory? In a very practical sense, who is He to you and I today? I mean, we know it says here that he's strong. We, we know in the passage that the, the Bible's pretty clear that this Jesus is, is mighty, that he is mighty in battle. That's all good. But how, what does that mean to us? Who is he to you? And who is he to me? Well, I've got just three things I, I want to touch on very, very quickly here. Again, I, I love that description of the Lord. But who is this King of Lord to you and to me this morning? And that's what I want to talk about. And I just want to talk about three simple thoughts now of what Jesus is to you and I. And and we'll be done, okay? So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We need you today. And again, Lord, we thank you, Father, for the prophecies. We're glad, Father, that the passage that we've been reading and, 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 and looking over for this last three weeks now has, well, Father, just one that, Father, points to you and ultimately your authority and you on the throne and you in your rightful place. Father, you need to be in your rightful place in our lives. And Lord, you're so many things to each and every one of us. And Lord, today, help us to just grasp the reality of these simple thoughts. May we just be encouraged by them, Lord. Lord, we'll thank you. And Lord, if there's someone here that has yet to receive and accept Jesus as Savior, and Lord, may they do so before they leave today. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, when I think about who the King of Glory is to me, and obviously to you as well, he is creator. He's creator. I don't know about you, but I, I, I believe we need reminded of this constantly in the culture in which we live. Uh, if there is a battle waging today, it's over the reality of God, the, 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 the fact of whether or not he truly exists. And may I say that if you don't believe that he created all things, you don't believe he exists anyway. And I'll tell you what, creation is a, a major battleground for the believer today in the culture in which we live, the world in which we live. The world may be quick to dismiss God, to disregard Him totally, or even delete Him from their lives altogether. But you and I today are aware, and we're very privy of His role uh, in our existence. We understand that we would not be here today if it were not for the God of heaven who created all things. Now again, turn your Bible over to John chapter 1, please, verse 1. It is interesting to note that in almost every major religion, that many of the stories and many of the themes are very similar. But may I say, the Bible still says there is only one God. And when it says, neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, let me tell you what, that excludes all other names but Jesus. 
And may I say today that Jesus Christ is creator as well, though. Notice what it says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Someone would say, well then, therefore, God made. We see that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's there, and God created all things. And we know that from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. But let me tell you, remember now, he begins by talking about the Word. The Word. And the Word was God. The Word was God. And we know without a doubt that the Word, the Bible says in verse 14, it became, it was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The passage defines the Word as Jesus Christ, none other than Jesus Himself. And the fact is today is that Jesus Christ then, according to John chapter 1, is Creator as well. To clarify that, to maybe even put more emphasis on it, turn over to the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. Again, Jesus is God. And in the book of Colossians, we're told one more time that He's Creator. I'm telling you, we need to be so careful today. The world has inundated the minds of our youth and our young people and even adults today. When I was in school, we had classes on evolution, on Darwinism and all of that mess. And may I say that whether we want to admit it or not, it has an effect on us. Anything we allow in our heart, our mind, is going to ultimately influence us to a degree or not. Now listen, I mean to tell you that you have to be careful what you permit your children to watch and listen to. You need to watch the shows. I don't care if they're good kids' shows. Make sure that the themes are not devilish in doctrine. I'm going to tell you what, some of the good shows still represent Darwinism as a means by which we were created and put on earth. And may I say, although you as an adult may understand that is a falsehood, that is a devilish, demonic lie right out of the pit of hell, the fact is your children are still susceptible to their influence. You've got to be careful with that. Be careful. And every time you hear something like that, and they are privy to it, you need to say something in return. That is a lie. God created Don't be passively standing by and allowing them to listen to that and not stand up against it, not take a stand for it. You've got to say something to your kids. It doesn't have to be public. It just needs to be private. You need to say, boy, that's wrong. We know God created everything, don't we? He said, that's brainwashing. That's what they're doing to your kids, too. Brainwashing them. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Who's that referring to? Christ, of course. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Jesus Christ is Creator. And may I say today that He is your Creator too. When we ask the question, who is this King of glory? He's Creator. He's my Creator. He's your Creator. He is the Creator of all things. Number two, He's Savior. He is Savior. Psalm chapter 22. Now, let's look back there. We said we'd get back to a few of those passages. But notice in the book of Psalm chapter 22, we're going to see a few things here that are just wonderful, amazing. 
You think, how in the world could it be so clear? We've already read Isaiah, and boy, I tell you what, it stood out like a sore thumb. That had to be Jesus. But look at these passages as well. There's no doubt that Psalm chapter 22 is foretelling the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Look what it says here. Psalm 22, 1. To the chief musician, blah, 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 a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does that sound familiar to you? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Again, right off the bat, we are brought right to Calvary, right to the cross, word for word. Then notice, if you would, in chapter 22, verse 6 through 8. It reads, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their, the lip. They shake the head, saying, He is trusting, trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Well, remember when Jesus was on the cross and the thieves were beside him? And then you have those, those others down at the bottom, those, 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 those soldiers. Hey, what are you going to do now? I mean, if you're really God, come down off that cross. Really you claim to me, come on down. Let him deliver you now. Hey, what are you doing now? If you're really who you claim you are, and your, heavenly, your father in heaven is so, so powerful, then why doesn't he take you off that cross? Wow, it's amazing how this parallels the Calvary experience. Psalm chapter 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. That sounds familiar. My heart is like wax. It is, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. I got a good picture there, don't you? Remember that water pouring out of that side there? It's interesting, isn't it? My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Boy, I'll tell you what, remember they were going to give him something to drink because he was so thirsty? He said, Thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Hey, that never happened to David. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Well, they stared on him. He was naked on that cross. Made to be ashamed. By the way, can I tell you something? If it was a shame for Jesus to hang naked on a cross, it's a shame for us to walk naked through the streets. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I know you enjoy those things. I mean, honestly, are we kidding ourselves? We got this movement today in America where it just seems that the less you got on, the better. Matter of fact, we got people in America today trying to say that you shouldn't be ashamed in the least of your body. You should be able to just, you don't even need clothes today. That, that, that is right out of hell. When we get back to that garden, you won't need clothes either. You'll be robed in his righteousness. But let me tell you, until then, you and I need clothes. And trust me, as I look over the crowd, you need clothes. And you're probably saying the same thing about me, I guarantee you. Praise God for those clothes today. <laughs> Chapter of, uh, right there, verse 18. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Well, that is right at the cross, isn't it? All I'm saying is, as we look at it, I'm going to say, that's our Savior. We think about, who is this Lord of glory? Who is this King of glory? Man, He's our Savior, amen? 
He's our Savior. In the book of John, chapter 129, we see John the Baptist there. He's, he's over there at the Jordan and he sees Jesus coming. The next day he sees Jesus coming unto him, it says, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In John 3.16, a passage that is so known around the United States of America that you see it at football fields, you see it everywhere you go. you got people that can quote it that haven't been in church in 20 years. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man, He's our Savior today. He died on that cross to pay for our sins. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to give their life. Why? Because... Sin demands death. The wages of sin is death. Thank God He died in my place. And today I can be free and forgiven because of the price of Jesus Christ on Calvary. He's our Savior. Aren't you glad you got a Savior today? Oh, I know. We can turn to our family and our friends and other loved ones and we can say, praise God for them. But may I say, they will not be with us always. It's nice to have a dad who's strong and can come to your aid and protect you and care for you. But let me tell you, dad ultimately gets older and he can't fight back like he used to. He can't protect you everywhere and anywhere you go. The fact is you need a heavenly father. You need Jesus Christ, who is the Savior. He's able to fight every battle for you. He's the Savior. He fights the biggest battle for you, that sin battle. He's creator, he's Savior. But not only that, he's a friend. He's a friend. I, I think that that's probably one of the areas that has been so neglected in our Christian lives today in America. We come to the place where we, we come to the cross and we, we trust the Lord, you know, and we get gloriously saved. And then we discount the reality of him in our life daily. We forget that he's a friend to us. He's our friend. I mean, we meet a new friend at work. We meet a new friend at school. We meet a new friend in the family. Maybe a brother or sister-in-law that joins the household, joins the family, or joins the, the, the extended family, either one. And we say, man, I'll tell you what, I really like them. Man, they're so special. Man, they're unique. I enjoy being with them. I like talking to them. And we're texting them, or we're emailing them, or we're, we're on Twitter with them, or we're being in connection and in communication with them constantly and continually. And we're up on what's going on in their life, and they're up what's going on in our life. And we're just interacting on a regular basis, but we come to Calvary and we trust and receive the Lord Jesus, the creator of all the universe, the savior of all mankind, and we receive and accept him, and then we want nothing to do with him. What's wrong with us? He is a friend to us. He wants to be there for you. And he is there for you. In the book of Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 18:24, the Bible says a man that hath friends must shew himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Man, I mean, you've you got to understand. Think back of the best relationship you ever had with anyone in your life. And he says, I can, I can give you a better relationship than that. We want relationships today. Life is about relationships, isn't it? Okay, go ahead and remove all your relationships and have a million dollars. And let me tell you, if you have nobody to share the million dollars with, you'll be sad. You'll be disappointed. You'll be without any joy. 
But let me tell you what, you get a friend to share that with, and I'm not talking about just throwing money at them. I'm talking about doing things with them, and they want to be with you. And it's not just for your money. You found, man, you find a friend like that, you're going to enjoy that money more than you ever did. Hey, come to my house. Hey, we're going to eat some steaks. Hey, we're going to go out and do this. Hey, we're going to get that. Hey, I got a four-wheeler I just bought the other day. And man, I mean to tell you, you'll be out doing a lot of good stuff, a lot of fun stuff, fellowshipping and having a great time together. But you have a relationship. As a child of God, we've got to realize we have a relationship now. Jesus wants to be more than just our Savior. He wants to be a friend to us. Hebrews 13, 5 says, not just a friend that comes around every once in a while, but he says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with what such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. He's going to be there with you. That's a friend. How many friends have abandoned you in the midst of difficult times? How many people have Put the knife in the back when you thought they were your buddy or your friend. Not Jesus. I can't help but think of Mary and Martha. Over there in the book of John, chapter 11, it says, when Jesus shows up, remember they they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was dying. Actually, that he was very sick. And then they send word back later and say, guess what? He didn't make it. He's like, let's go. I mean, let's get over there, okay? Let's find out what's going on. And Jesus already knew what was going on. Man, he arrives there and Martha is a mess. And Mary's upset. And when he gets there in chapter 11, verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Good point. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Now listen, at the time, she's like, yeah, I get it. I know, in the end, and when it's all said and done, he'll rise again, I get it. She said, you don't get it. Martha, listen. I may not have physically been here, but I'm there for you. And he walks up to that tomb. Hey, roll that stone away. They roll that stone away. And Jesus, the Bible says, speaks. He cries with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth! Guess who came forth? Lazarus did. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus is a friend. He'll take your pain and your heartache and he'll bear it with you. You're not going to be alone. He's going to be there. The Bible says that he'll, he'll bear that up with you. You don't have to deal with things by yourself anymore. you got a friend. The disciples are on the sea during a storm. Jesus is asleep. Hey, don't care so not that we perish? Jesus says, come on, fellas. Now listen, I'm there for you. Walks out onto that ship. Peace, be still. I'm going to tell you what, Jesus is there to bring peace in your life too. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You see, listen, he's there for you and he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. This is the Jesus. This, this is the king of glory. He's a friend to me. This king of glory I read about, this, this savior that I read about, this creator that I read about. Listen, he's not just a creator and savior. He's my friend today. And I know some pious person in the crowd saying, well, I wouldn't talk about Jesus as a friend because he's more than that. And blah, blah, whatever. You go ahead and have him do be whatever you want him to be. But the Bible tells me he's my friend. Go ahead. Go ahead and cheat yourself out of that one. 
I've heard it before, and I get it. There are people that abuse that. Well, he's my buddy. He ain't my buddy. He's my friend. He's a man upstairs. He ain't no man upstairs. He's God. I get it. I get it. I'm not trying to bring him down to our level. But if I keep his commands, I'm his friend, he says. And you can be his friend, too. And he's definitely going to be yours. He loves you. He listens to you. He leads you. If you'll let him. You ever see a kid? Maybe you've worked in our bus ministry. Possibly you dealt with a child that's had some difficulties in his home. You walk up to him and you say, Hey, young man, you just try to, you just try to comfort him. And you say, Hey, excuse me, could you, could you have a seat? And he goes, Don't touch me. Don't touch me. You know what he's saying? I want nobody loving me. I want nobody telling me what to do. You know what his problem is? He, he needs somebody to love on him. He's learned how to accept love a little bit. Listen, some people don't know how to receive love even. They've been so hurt in their lives, they don't even know how to accept it. I want you to know that I don't care how hurt you've been in your life, you need to accept Jesus' love in your life. Because he loves you more than anyone could ever love you. Don't push him away. And he listens to you. He cares what you think. Even if you're wrong, tell him what you think. Quit playing games with God. Don't pretend around the Lord. Just be honest with him. He's a friend. And he'll help guide those thoughts. He'll help to put you where you need to be if you've got the right heart and attitude. You may not understand everything and you may have the wrong feeling, but God will help guide you and direct you there. He says he'll do that. He said that he would come and he'd be with us. And then he also says that, howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. He's going to guide you. And he is the Spirit of God. I mean, it's Jesus in us and the person of the Holy Spirit. And because of time, I'm just rushing through these, but he'll lead you, guide you, direct you, love you, listen to you. And that's the kind of friend I want. Have you ever had a friend that never listened? They weren't a friend for very long. And you may have still been together and you may have still met with them, but in the truth, you, didn't, you weren't excited to get with them. Because honestly, the truth is, as, a, as, a, as human beings, we want someone that will listen to us. Some people are better listeners than other people. And sometimes talkers find those people that are just listeners because that makes good friendships for them. But let me tell you something. Even the best listener needs to share sometimes. I just want to encourage you. You've got a Savior today that is not just creator, not just savior, but he is a friend. He wants to be a friend to you. Won't you let Jesus Christ be your friend today? And if you're lost today without Christ, he has to first be your savior. And before he can be your savior, you have to believe that he is creator. He, he, he created all things. And because he created all things, he created you and he loves you, he says. And he wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to be forgiven of all your sin so that you can be restored to fellowship with him. That fellowship was lost in the Garden of Eden through the sinful act of Adam. But you can be restored by the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He paid for the sin that Adam brought into the world. And your salvation can be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Won't you trust Christ today? Believe that he is, and he's rewarded them that diligently seek him. 
And then receive and accept Him into your life as Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then allow Him to be a friend to you. And you be His friend by obeying Him. Tell you what, you won't go wrong with that. You will not go wrong with that recipe. Who is this King of Glory? Who is He? He's my Creator. He's my Savior. And He is my friend. I trust He's yours too. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all that you mean to us. We thank you for all that you do for us. And Lord, just for the privilege that we have to be a part of your family. But Lord, today there may be those in the crowd in this this church this morning that have never come to the place of salvation. They've never recognized Christ as the Savior of the world. Oh, they know that he died on a cross. They may even know that he rose again. But there wasn't a time in their life personally where they said, you know what, I'm the sinner he died for. I need him in my life. I want to receive him as my Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that they would settle that today. Lord, they don't have to live life on their own. They don't have to face problems and situations on their own. You're there to do that. They just have to recognize and acknowledge their sinfulness before you, a holy, perfect God. And then, Lord, be willing to turn their life to you and just trust you and receive you as Savior and Lord. Lord, it's only you that can save them. No one else, nothing else. So, Lord, help them to receive you today by trusting and accepting what you did for them on Calvary. As payment for their sin. Now, Lord, I pray for the believer today that they'd find themselves in a place where they'd work at that fellowship, that relationship. That, Lord, they would truly make it a priority in their life to understand who their friend is, to get to know you better, Lord Jesus. And, Father, may they never doubt your presence and their life, their, your, your willingness to work in their hearts, Oh, God, do a work in our lives. Help us, Father, just to accept you and allow you to love us. And, Lord, to live our lives with you, uh, receiving everything that you have for us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.